You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Well, 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 good afternoon to everybody. Uh, thanks for joining me here. I'm Dr. Jeff Weber, your host of Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And uh, here on this lovely, at least here in Los Angeles, lovely Thursday afternoon. Um, nice and sunny. It's getting cold here. You know, we, you know, we talk about the cold weather, and I, I get a lot of questions now about, as I call it, winterizing your pets. We'll get to that in a few minutes. And um, so I'm talking, I, I just did an interview for a blog yesterday, and we we're talking about how it's getting cold here in Southern California. I mean, for here, cold in Southern California means when you go out at night, you need to have a sweater. It hits like, oh my God, it hits 50 and we're starting to complain. So I guess we're pretty spoiled here. But I know in many of the parts of the country, it's a lot colder and I'm, I'm actually waiting for ski and snowboard weather. We have Mammoth, California in the Sierras and uh, I see it's getting down to 13 and 9 and I think uh, during the weekend, it's going to hit 3 below. That makes me very happy because that means we're going to get some good snow and, and good skiing and, and uh, snowboard weather. Anyway, we had a great Thanksgiving. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Hope it was all safe for everybody. I know that uh, we were hoping to be able to uh, air live for you on Thanksgiving. But, you know, again, with the festivities and everybody doing their thing, it wasn't so easy. But uh, I'm, as I said, I hope that everybody had a nice, safe Thanksgiving. We avoided all the things that we need to avoid. And we'll talk more about some of those things because, let's face it, the holiday meal, Christmas coming up, is very similar. We're going to eat a lot of foods that are fantastic. Well, I should say fantastic tasting for us. I don't know how good they are for us, but you know how we are. We're willing to sacrifice a little bit for the good taste, but our pets aren't always so lucky because they get a lot more than just feeling full after a big meal when that big meal includes eating some of the wrong things, which again, we will discuss more. But I want to hear from you. And when I hear from you, it's very easy. Just dial the simple numbers 877 385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Give me a call. We get to talk pets. That's why I'm here. And we just want to talk about anything that you want to talk about. And as an extra added bonus, besides the free advice, the free help, we will send you out some ProSense product, courtesy of ProSense Pet Products, and uh, our show sponsor, available at some major mass retailers, including our friends at Walmart. And target. So I wanted to start. Well, first of all, we'll just break in anytime. Free phone call, 877-385-8882. Meanwhile, let's talk a little bit about winterizing your pet. What does that mean? You know, so often when we talk spring and summer, and uh, we've talked about it here on Pet Life Radio on our show, what some precautions we need to make once the weather starts getting hot. But what about when the weather is getting cold? Do we still have the same precautions? Are there concerns? The truth of the matter is absolutely there are some concerns and they deal with the opposite. Instead of overheating, we call hyperthermia. When it comes to the cold weather in many parts of the country, I spoke to somebody the other day whose family lives in Minnesota and they're already freezing. I was in New York two weeks ago, two weekends ago, 
I did a, a segment on Fox and Friends Sunday morning with my good friend Tucker Carlson, and then I shot a segment on The Better Show, and I'm gonna, we're going to post the link to The Better Show segment up on the Pet Life Radio website, so you can click on and see the segment, a great segment about the holidays, so you'll get some extra added information, and I'll share that with you as well. And there, it actually, Saturday night, it was started to snow. It, it didn't stick very long because it wasn't that cold, but the weather is starting to change in many parts of the country. And those of us here in the West and some parts of the South are a little spoiled as we're not going to see snow, at least not in the cities. But I think the key uh, is keys to know is that, yes, dogs get cold and we need to take some precautions. And it's not just the cold weather, the temperature, it's also the wind chill. And just like we need to provide a certain amount of shade for our dogs outdoors, we need to provide shade from the wind, some protection from the wind as well. And just little things to think about. You know, first of all, water. When it's below freezing and our dogs have a tendency to freeze or get very cold, the water that you left out for them in the water bowl, well, that can freeze too. And so, again, that's a concern because if a dog who needs water, if it's really cold and they're out there for hours and hours, the water that was left for them outside may now be just a big block of ice. And that's not very effective in rehydrating them when they have to lick on ice, let alone the fact that their tongue might stick to the ice. So, oh, another thing. Remember we talked about when dogs overheat? The problem is that dogs don't sweat. Where do they exchange heat? They exchange heat from the pads of their feet and the tip of their nose. Well, when you have freezing temperatures and dogs are walking on snow and ice or extremely cold ground, those same pads, which they will use to exchange heat, are now an amazing entry point for the cold. So we need to protect those feet because that's where we can see the onset of hyperthermia. That's one of the ways that this cold enters the body and certainly a coat. Dog's coats, again, we, we talk about this when we talk about spring and summer, is like a thermos. So it regulates their core body temperature. It protects them both ways. It protects them from the extreme heat, raising the body temperature, but it also protects them from the cold, lowering the body temperature. So it's very important to make sure your dog's coats are in good shape, good condition, not matted, the skin is in good shape, well-brushed, well-groomed, and then the coat acts and works the way it is supposed to work, and that is as an insulator. So don't shave those coats down, but don't be fooled either when you say to yourself, well, we don't, dog doesn't need that fur coat because he's got his own fur. We have to know a couple of basic facts about the body and how the body regulates. Those of you who have had dogs that have sadly been treated for cancer, and when we figure out doses of cancer, drugs, they're not necessarily done by body weight. They're done by what we call a meter squared basis, which is a body surface area as compared to their body weight. And small dogs, dogs say under 25 pounds, 20 pounds, have a much larger surface area in relation to their actual body weight in pounds or kilograms. Therefore, they have a much greater ability to lose body temperature, their core temperature, to the outside environment when that outside environment is extremely cold. So when you see these little dogs, these little palms and chihuahuas and Maltese and you name it, wearing little sweaters, those sweaters are actually beneficial. When you see a Great Dane or a German Shepherd or a Rottweiler or a Labrador wearing sweaters, that might be a fashion statement. They don't need it as much, but 
absolutely small breeds in very, very cold weather should have some protection because their body surface area as compared to their body weight is much greater. So for those of you who laugh at those dogs, stop laughing. They need those little sweaters. And another good idea for a number of reasons are booties because booties will, A, protect the actual heat exchange or the heat loss onto that cold surface, snow or ice, but also a lot of municipalities, as we know, to control the ice will actually lay down salt onto the ground. Well, that salt or any chemical they put on the ground as a de-icer could be very irritative to our dogs and cats' feet. So I think it's not a bad idea in the very cold weather as well to uh, put on something as a pad or a paw protector. In fact, one of the brands out there is Pawtectors, but there are many out there. You can go to any pet store and get some booties for your pets. Not a bad idea. But I really think that if it gets really cold, and I'm talking temperatures well below freezing, um, I am a fan of allowing these dogs to spend much of their time of the extreme cold temperatures indoors. Either in a mudroom, either you know, have a, having a, a doggy door that can give them access. I mean, they could be outside. Remember, if a dog is outside and a dog is playing, you're playing ball, they're going for a brisk walk, they're taking a jog with you, that's fine. Even, even we, regardless of temperature, once you get the circulation going and you work up that sweat, then you can do just fine. When do we have a problem? We have a problem when you're sitting around. So dogs, and it's a vicious cycle. When they start getting really cold, I mean really cold, they just can't do as much. They get that almost like a lethargy. Now they're sitting around, and the effects of the cold temperature are even greater. I had a dog in recently, and I'm talking Southern California. And this dog was a little dog, was a chihuahua. And we think it got into something. We're not sure exactly what happened initially. But this dog came in in what we call lateral recumbency. It could barely sit up, let alone stand. And its core body temperature, 92 degrees. Now, mind you, normal, normal, low normal for a dog is 100.5 degrees. This dog, which is even higher than ours at 98.6, and this dog was 92 degrees. That is really cold. Many thermometers, especially the digital thermometers, stop registering under 92 degrees. It'll just say low, L for low. So that's a problem. And as I said, that's a dog here in Southern California. Can you imagine what this poor dog's body temperature would have been if it were in Minnesota, stuck outside for whatever reason? So it's very, very important to take those precautions, make sure there's some way to keep the water heated, give them access to wind, I mean, protection from the wind, protection from the cold, get that doggy door, have an outdoor heater if possible, where they can hide behind something on a nice, warm, comfy bed. You can also get heated beds. There are so many things that you can do at home to protect your pets for the smaller dogs. Go ahead and get the the sweaters, get the booties, and uh, make sure you get them out there and exercise quite a bit. And that's one way we keep our pets nice and protected during this crazy cold weather that are, that's happening in many parts of the country. So I still want to hear from you. Any questions you have or any stories you have to share, either th- stories about how your pets fared through Thanksgiving, stories about how they fare and what you do during the winter to protect your pets from the cold. You can reach me here at 877-385-8882. Just send me a quick note to drjeff at petliferadio.com. And remember, if we talk on the phone, on the radio, if we talk via email, we will send you out a ProSense pet product. Thank you, courtesy of ProSense Pet Products. We are at that time for a quick break at the midway point here at Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And we'll be back in just a minute. 
We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Pause up. I'm Arden Moore, and I'm here to tell you about a revolutionary new product that literally swipes away cat hair from virtually any surface. You know, most of us struggle with a roller or vacuum cleaner to clean up cat hair, but anyone who has tried either of these knows they just don't work very well. But Swipe It's patent pending glove has a magnetic-like quality that removes cat hair from almost everything. Right, Ziki? Right, Murphy? And best of all, Swipe It's is machine washable, so you can use it over and over again. To order, just visit SwipeIt's.com. That's S-W-I-P-E-T-S. A simple solution for shedding. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. This year, Americans are expected to spend a jaw-dropping $36 billion on their pets. From lighted leashes to high-end spa products, the discriminating pet owner can find just about anything to pamper his or her pet. Hi, this is Michelle Fern. Join me every week for Best Bets for Pets, where we'll talk about the latest pet products and talk to the companies that make them. Best Bets for Pets, every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Well, welcome back to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Forber. I'm still waiting to hear from, from you guys at 877-385-8882. We did get an email last week, and we'll talk about this for a second while you are getting the courage, the nerves to give us a call and ask your own questions. But hopefully, it's always good to learn from other people's questions as well. John from Phoenix sent us an email and wanted to know, how long does it normally take for a bone to heal in a dog? And it's a great question because it really varies on so many different factors. First of all, young bones in dogs, cats, just like young people, heal much more quickly. And uh, typically, I would say you can get some, start getting really good healing in three weeks. And by four to five weeks, certainly, uh, healing should, uh, should be complete in growing bones. The problem is, however, and, and just you know, a joke, we talk about cats. Cats heal pretty quickly. They're actually pretty amazing. That The joke is that as long as you have both ends of the bone in the same room, 
a cat will heal. And obviously, that's not true, but it, it, the point is cats really do a good job healing. And, and I think there's a reason for it, and we're going to talk about that, in that one of the biggest factors differentiating the way animals heal versus the way we heal. The process is the same, but the difference is that if you have a bone, and let's assume for a second we're talking about a bone where the alignment is good and it's a bone that can be splinted or put set in a cast. Let's, let's talk about for a second bones that don't need surgical repair via a what we call pin or surgical plates, bone plates, or something called a KE, or which is called a Kirshner-Emer apparatus. Those are much more complicated fractures. Those are fractures in bones, for example, in a femur or a humerus, where, which is the upper parts where just casting may not be effective. And I'll explain why in just a few minutes. But let's talk about a bone that, that should respond by just being splinted or casted. Well, the problem is, even though we're in a splint or we're in a cast, we still know that we need to rest this bone. And that's going to be, we're going to be in a sling around. Let's say we break our radius or an ulna, which is the, the, the bones of our arm. Oftentimes, we get the cast on, and then the doctor's going to put you in a, in a little sling. Or if it's going to be a tibial fracture, the lower part of your leg below a bone or a bone in your foot, you'll get a cast, and you'll get crutches, or you'll get a cane. Uh, you don't get the walking little rubber thing on the bottom of your cast right away. So we know that even though we're in that supported type of state, with that external type of fixative, the, the apparatus, the, the splint, the cast, whatever, we are still taking it easy. Dogs, you can't put dogs on crutches. You don't have dogs in a walking cast. You don't have dogs with a cane. So what happens is, despite our best efforts to keep the dog quiet, and sometimes we'll tell an owner, get an airline carrier, put this dog in a crate, get a, a doggy playpen. You can't have the dog running around thinking, oh, no problem. He's in his cast. He's in his splint. We're good. And let's just see what happens. Because what's going to happen is it's not going to heal nearly as quickly as it probably could. So case in point, John from Phoenix, is that we had a dog come in a very active well, I said, that, that's an oxymoron. I've never seen an unactive, a non-active Australian Shepherd. Now, this Aussie is all over the place, running, jumping. Do you think this dog cares that he's got a broken toe? He could care less. He's already broken two splints. I mean, he is literally motion unmanageable. He's running around all over the place. It doesn't hurt him. And if it does hurt him, he's certainly not letting us know. So we had him come back in today after the second splint being broken, took an x-ray, and the alignment is beautiful. I mean, if you look at the x-ray, you could see the bones are in the perfect position to heal, but still not healing. And this dog, we are trying everything. And I said to him, I said, You're gonna, we're going to have to lock this dog up because impractical to try to fix this with any kind of implants anyway. And the dog is happy as can be. And he's running around walking. He could care less. Yet he is too active. And therefore, the healing phase, it's already been six weeks and he's going to need at least another two. And yet, if he were in a cast and on crutches, if he were in a splint and on crutches or a cane or confined, which is very tough to do with these dogs since they are the energy plus, he would have healed already. And so what happened, why if people ask, how come, you know, they come in and they don't have a lot of money and they have a fractured femur. That's the long bone, the upper bone of the leg that goes from the hip down to the knee. And people say, well, how come we can't cast it, doc? There's a certain rule of thumb that when it comes to fracture mechanics and dynamics, how fractures need to be immobilized. And in order for a broken bone to heal properly through a cast or a splint, the 
joint above the fracture and the joint below the fracture need to be immobilized. Well, good luck trying to use some sort of device, casting device or other, and immobilizing the hip. And since that can't be done, when you have a femoral fracture, a fracture of the femur, 99% of the time, the only successful treatment is going to come from some sort of surgical intervention. That could be via some pins we call IM or intramedullary pins. That can come from a plate, a bone plate or plates. That can come from some sort of wiring. That can come from the external apparatus I mentioned earlier called a KE apparatus. But since the hip joint really can't be immobilized, the knee can, but not the hip, it's going to require some sort of external or internal fixation. Now, tibias can, fibulas, but fibula often, if you don't have, that's a little skinny bone in the bottom lower part of the leg between the knee and the ankle. And if you have an intact tibia, that enough will give enough support that you probably don't have to do a lot to repair a fibula. It's going gonna, it's gonna to heal. Same thing with the radius and ulna. Uh, ulnar fractures do okay if the radius is intact. They do better. Uh, need, obviously, some sort of, of support, but you may not have to actually use any type of fixative or a surgical intervention. Just you know, really good immobilization could do the trick. And uh, same thing with humerus. Humerus, because you can't really immobilize a shoulder in a dog or a cat, it's going to need some surgical intervention. So, John, the, uh, the, the answer is it's not an easy answer. Young dogs and cats, I'd say three to four weeks, assuming the ability to restrain, confine the animal is effective. For adult dogs and cats, I would say give me a minimum of six weeks, but depending on the activity level of that pet, you might need to do more than six weeks. So keep that in mind. And any other good cases that I've had? I, well, that, you know, sadly that there must be a virus going around. We don't know what it is, but we've had a couple of animals coming in in a, just a very, what we call ADR state, out of the blue. The owners of this poor little chihuahua went to work in the morning. The dog was 100% perfect. It was outside. They don't have malicious neighbors. There was nothing around the backyard the dog could have gotten a hold of. I mean, really, there was no way. We actually sent this dog to an emergency specialty clinic. They, too, for monitoring, could not figure out what could have possibly happened to this dog. Uh, We're thinking maybe a severe anaphylaxis, meaning an allergic reaction to something, whether it could have been a bee, it could have been a spider, it could have been bitten by something else, it could have ingested some sort of weird chemical, some sort of plant, but nothing they know of. And as I said, the dog's not a yapper, doesn't have mean neighbors that could have thrown something over the yard. And there are some weird things going on. So you got to keep a really close watch over your pets. And you know, always talk to gardeners. I'm, I'm always nervous seeing cases of snail poison, which is metaldehyde, rat poison, uh, which is usually difacinone or some sort of brofacinone, an anticoagulant that literally causes these animals to bleed out. And a lot of times gardeners are not as aware of what they can or can't put down on the ground. Or sometimes they don't even know how many pets that you have outdoor pets because typically what happens is when they come around, you have the animals inside the house or they've asked you to put the animals inside the house and they don't sometimes realize that these animals can run free. So it's very important to talk to your gardeners, making sure they understand that before they put anything down outside in your yard, on your grass, in your bushes, in your shrubs, be it fertilizer, be it a weed killer, be it snail bait, be it rat poison, be it anything to let you know, A, that it's going down, or better yet, that they should use something else, something other. Uh, I don't know if any you've seen, but if you open up a bag 
of metaldehyde, which is snail bait, it actually looks, they're little pellets, and they look like pelleted dog food, and they actually have a decent taste to them, and yet it's highly, highly toxic. I've seen small dogs come in with major, major neurologic problems, vomiting, diarrhea, shivering, shaking, seizuring, all because of metaldehyde toxicity, which is the active ingredient of snail bait. And this is a time of year, by the way, that a lot of gardeners like to put things down. So uh, it's something to keep in mind. And another thing that I saw, and uh, I think something you should be aware of, that I had two cases this week, dogs coming in with ticks. And we don't have a huge tick population here in Southern California. So if I'm seeing them, I know that in the Northeast especially, where ticks are much more prevalent, and the Southeast ticks are very prevalent, in the Southwest as well. So you have to be aware that ticks are out there. Make sure just because it's not quote-unquote flea season anymore, it doesn't mean it's not tick season. I recommend you keep your dogs on some sort of flea and tick prevention, parasite protection all year round as well. So anyway, no uh, courageous callers. So uh, shame on you. You're getting not only missing out on free advice, you're missing out on free product from ProSense Pet Products. But next week is another opportunity. Send me an email to drjeff at petliferadio.com or write this number down, 877-385-8882. And uh, give me a call next week. Join me here. Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio. And, and, and check on the website. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and post that uh, link to the Better Show segment. It's a great segment, and hopefully you'll learn a lot to protect your pets during the upcoming holiday season. See you next week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.